Today I want to begin by asking a question. I want to begin by asking you a question. The question is this. What would you say is your greatest of all, everything in your life, what is your greatest fear? What is your greatest fear? What is the thing that maybe keeps you up at night? You know, things keep you up at night and you think about, what is that thing that keeps you up at night that you worry about? You know, if you feel like maybe your back is up against a wall there and, uh, and your story has the word fear written over it, what would that fear be? I think it's true that all of us have fears. Wouldn't you say? We all have fears. And so uh, when I take a study break in July, it just gives me a chance to connect with my family, gives me a chance to uh, lean in, to have space, to try to hear from God, you know, for the future year of this church and, and my own life. I wanna, one of the things I really felt impressed on that I emerged out of that study break from was we have fears and you have fears and I have fears and we need to address those fears. And so what we're going to do over the next four weeks is we're going to unpack that. We're going to unpack what the Bible has to say about fear in a four-week series, Be Fearless. And here's what I know to be true about you is that fear keeps you, fear keeps you from living your best life. Fear can keep you in a prison. Fear keeps you from living your best life here. And so for some of us, you know, you're sitting in, in the chair right now this morning and you have certain fears. And some of you, the fear is, you know, will I ever be able to shake my past? You know, I have this past and, uh, and the shadow of the past is looming over me. I, will I ever be able to shake that past there? I think some of us, even with our best intentions of how things are going to be different, you know, this time here. But the reality is this. The reality is that there's this undercurrent of, of past habits and relationships and failures that tends to drag us back into patterns of life that have haunted us for so long. And we fear that. We have fears about that. Some of you have relational fears this morning. Some of you, I, I, I just, I've heard this. I maybe. Maybe you could speak for yourself, but it's just an impression that I've gotten over the years. And that is that some of you have the fear of going to the dentist. Some of you have a fear of getting married. Some of you have a fear of of what's going to happen if I get married, will I stay married? Some of you have a, a fear of, you know, not getting married. Some of you have a fear of not having children or having children. What am I going to do if I have children, you know? And so uh, we have these fears that are relational fears that can be demoralizing and even overwhelming and depleting. And here's a text that I got. I'm going to read you a text that I got this week okay, about uh, relational fears. A mom talking about her eighth grade son. Listen to this. She says, I'm at a loss. My eighth grade son is flunking school and I have to struggle like all the time to even get him to go to church. I so didn't want him to have the horrible life that I've had and it seems that he's on the same path. My heart is in the pit of my stomach. He hit my husband in the face three to four times and he tells me I'm not his mother. Love and support don't seem to work, nor anything else I've tried. I don't know what to do to help him, and it's wrecking havoc on me. I fear for his future. A lot of people are having relational fears here. Others, we deal with vocational fears or maybe IRS fears or legal fears or how about health and medical fears? You know, my whoever died of heart disease and am I going to get heart disease? Is that going to happen and visit me here? Students in the house, 
I think we have fears here. Fears about test-taking, fears about school, fears about peer pressure, fears about social media, you know, fears about, uh, am I going to be, you know, am I going to make it through class? So all of us, the reality is this, is that we just have fears that we deal with. And so uh, what do you think is the most oft-repeated commandment in the Bible, knowing this, to fear not, you know, so God knows that. And so God addresses that over and over and over again in the scriptures here that we must face our fears. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to unpack this and we're going to look at uh, the epic story of Exodus chapter 14. So the background is this for 430 years, the children of Israel, God's people have been slaves and you need to grasp this to grasp the greatness of the story which wants to speak to your life here. So the background is very important, so don't, don't check out on me. So what happens is in Exodus chapter 5, verse 2, Moses uh, goes to the Pharaoh and says, you need to let the people go. And the Pharaoh's like this, I'm not going to let them go. And then he says this, he says, you know what? In your face says, you know what? Who's the Lord? Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let the children of Israel go? And God's like, okay, you want to find out who the Lord is? You're going to find out. And so in uh, Exodus chapter 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10, the plagues are unleashed upon Egypt. And Egypt then is brought to its knees there. And finally, the Pharaoh's had enough and seen enough. He's like, tells the, the, the million plus slaves to, to get out of here, get out of the land. And finally, you see the exit of Exodus there in chapter 14. And I want to point something out to you uh, before we get to the heart of this story. Before we get to the heart of this story, it describes then the children of Israel and what they were like when they were released. And they were like fist pumping and high-fiving and chest bumping. And, and, uh, and it says this in verse 8, it says that they were marching out on the screens. You can see it. They were marching out boldly. And so uh, but the Pharaoh's like thinking like, well, what was I thinking? What was I doing there? I just lost the labor force. I lost the slaves. And I've got, we've got to go after them again. Okay. But he's saying, what, what was I thinking? Well, I'll tell you what you were thinking. You just got your butt beat by God. That's what you were thinking. And uh, you got a good old fashioned beat down before you started to reconsider this. And so, but notice it says this about the children of Israel. I want you to see what they were like. They were like um, marching out boldly. They were like, you know, some, some translations say with fist raised in defiance, you know, they were marching, you know, confidently, you know, and our God kicked, you know, Pharaoh's butt, you know, and we won, you know, and we're finally released here and they're marching with confidence and it feels good, you know, to be walking with God, you know, and there they are, they're walking with boldness, you know, and, uh, and so into the, the, the new land that God has for them. And we showed them, you know, in the 10 plagues, yeah, baby, you know, God just tapped out, you know, Egypt, like Conor McGregor got tapped out last night. But anyway, and so God kicked Egypt's butt, you know, and brought them to their knees. And yeah, we're marching out with boldness. And, you know, and have you ever been there? You know, it's like you feel that confidence and you feel that boldness, you know, and God is with me and church was great, you know, and then it gets around a day or two, you know, and things change dramatically for them. And in a couple days, now the Bible tells us that they went from, you know, marching boldly to now they're freaking out. Millions of people are freaking out from marching boldly to freaking out in about 48 hours. 
I wonder if the same could be true of us ever, where you, know, you go to church and it was good, you know, and you're marching boldly to your car and you've got confidence, you know, in our God, I'm going to serve God. You know, and by Tuesday, you're freaked out. Like, where, did all, where did all the marching boldness go? And so here's the children of Israel and they're full of fear here. And so now what's going to happen is, is that they're a hot mess. They're an absolute mess here because they have no weaponry. They have no chariots. They have, they're no match for Pharaoh's army. And they're in hot pursuit here of the, of the children of Israel here because Pharaoh changed his mind. And so now what happens is, is they're stuck. They're trapped with nowhere to go. And so they've got like the Red Sea. Okay, you can be the Egyptians, right? You can be the Egyptians coming after me. So this is your chance to pretend. Well, if you've ever wanted to come after me, you can now do that. But uh, so you're like the Egyptian army. There's the Red Sea. And the children of Israel are stuck. And they can see, you know, these massive implements of war, chariots, you know, hundreds and hundreds of them coming. And they can see the dust rise, you know, and they can hear the roar of the chariots and all. And there they are in verse 10. And as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, okay, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. And they were terrified and they cried out to God. I want to point something out that when they looked up, the only thing they do is they look up at the Egyptians. They never look up to God. They just are looking up at the Egyptians. Uh, we're going to point that out in just a moment here. And so what happened to all the marching boldly? What happened, you know, two to three days later now, they're absolutely terrified. Like I think some of us, it can be true of us where you just encounter God, you encounter this great God and you start following him, you know, and, uh, and so, and it's a great, you know, awesome God and you meet with him and he dies for you and he, and he strengthens you and gives you his Holy Spirit and sacrifices his only son for you and you have that boldness about you, you know, living your life there and all of a sudden circumstances change and even though previously you're boldly declaring, you know, I'm walking with God and all. Now circumstances change like the children of Israel and the fun of church is no longer there. The fun of being a Christ follower no longer there. And now you see the enemy coming back, you know, and like them, the, the, the is, uh, Egypt represents like the old life, you know. So, so now their old life is coming after them and chasing after them again. And I wonder if that could ever be our reality where your old life can come chasing after you again, where you're only one decision away, where you're only one drink away from your old life, one slip into another addiction from your own life, one picture away from the old life, one click away from the old life here. And Egypt keeps calling you back in your notes. The first point is here. The old life will always pursue us. The old life, it will always pursue us, will always welcome back, welcome us back. The old Egypt wants us back constantly there, can be pursuing you, just waiting for you to say yes, one slip, say yes, and like the children of Israel, you will be taken back into captivity. That's what's at stake here. Have you ever been there? Okay, maybe just me, but I'll keep talking to myself and you can just listen. So... Paul put it this way in Romans when he's working out his own life and his own struggle there. And he said this in Romans chapter 7, verse 19. He said this, he said, you know, for I don't do the good that I want to do. But the good that I want to do, I, I like, I don't do this. He says, but the evil 
the evil that I don't want to do, I keep on doing. And so have you ever been there? No matter how many times the old life has been killed off, it'll come back. And, and Egypt has a way of just calling you and pursuing you, you know, negative patterns of behavior and perhaps addictions, you know, uh, always are happy to welcome, welcome us back and hurts and habits and hangups and porn and all these things welcoming, want to welcome us back here. And maybe at one season, you know, you felt like I had control of, of that thing, right? I had control over, you know, uh, the computer, the internet, and now it has control over you here. And I have this desire, you know, Paul was saying, to follow God. But there's the old self, he was saying, that keeps clicking on and wanting to have its way here. And think of, is there anything you can think of in your life? A point maybe of your old life there that God wants you to exit today. Could you think of anything? Verse 11. Was it because there were not graves in Egypt that you brought us here to the desert to die? I want to point out something that happens here behind the scenes, which is revealed in the passage 5,000 years ago, which now scientists today have begun to discover. Smart guys, white coach, University of Minnesota. I want to quote to you what they said here about what happens to us because they begin here because of fear. They begin to distort reality. And that's what fear does. Fear actually affects the neurophysiology of your brain. Fear actually now, science, this is brain science, affects the neurological pathways of your brain. Such that you amplify things. When you get fearful, you amplify things beyond reality and your brain kind of gets warped. And that's what is happening here. They're fearful and their brains get warped and they start to imagine things that were not reality at all. Moses was following God's call there. They were following uh, Moses and God's call to be free. Had nothing to do with the contents of verse 11. Bringing us out here to die. What they did is they extrapolated okay, a non-reality because of their fear to think they were going to die. And they were saying, oh, Moses, like you brought us out here because there's no burial plots in Egypt. Did you bring us out here, Moses? Because, you know, you, know, you can't fool us. Were there enough, were not enough uh, funeral places? And were, were, they, were they not cheaper in Egypt that we just should have stayed there? Like, why do you, we know what you're doing, Moses. You brought us out here to die. Complete. Not reality at all. Verse 14, more non-reality. Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? No, you didn't say that. In fact, you never said that. Let us serve the Egyptians. No, you never said that. It would have been better to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. And you can see what fear does to you. And this is why the Bible commands us not to, to, to be dominated by fear more than anything, any other command in the Bible. So here it is from the University of Minnesota. I quote their brain research, which says this. Once the fear pathways are ramped up, in other words, you get fearful. Once the fear pathways are ramped up, the brain short circuits. More rational processing pass and reacts immediately. The amygdala part of the brain kicks in, starts firing, okay? And in this overactive state, the brain perceives events as negative. That's what happened here in verse 11, 12. As negative and then remembers them that way. Doesn't remember reality, remembers them, uh, extrapolates them to this negative reality. 
And I quote again, fear can play tricks with your memory and your perception of reality. Fear warps your thinking. University of Minnesota, you can Google that. See, see, so what happened here is fears uh, blur our emotions. They blur the emotions of the moment. That's what the brain science is showing here. And we forget things. Uh, we forget like them, like the good old days, you know, really weren't so good. You know, they were just old. And so there, oh, it would have been better had we stayed in Egypt. For real? Like 430 years, like you guys are dying in the desert there. You're like enslaved, you know, like the worst human existence ever there. And it would have been better here. You see in your notes, it says this. The enemy wants to keep you looking back. The enemy wants to keep you looking back, mesmerized by the past and its hold on your life. Trapped, trapped in the past there. And so the children of Israel here are predicting an outcome that would never happen. And is, is that what fear does to you? You predict an outcome that will never happen. So you know what? Can I just tell you from my own life what this looks like? You could think of your own life. So I'll, I'm going I'm to let you enter into behind the scenes, the behind the scenes life and thinking of the speaker this morning. And so a couple nights ago, it's about midnight, and my wife went out to San Diego, where my son goes to school, had to go there to drop some stuff off. And so it's about midnight, and I'm thinking, gosh, it's late. She's not back. I wonder if she got in an accident. Did she get in? Like, if she got in, what if she, what if she was killed in an accident? And my, and my mind goes, what would I say to my kids if my wife got killed in an accident? And what, how would I do that? And my mind just started racing forward about this fear. Like how, like, like how strange is, is that? But in, but in a matter of, of a minute, that's where my mind went. And I, oh, I better call, I better find, hey, are, are you okay? Oh, okay, good. I just wonder, how come you're, how come you're not home? Like, what's going on? And then, and then my, my middle son is a helicopter pilot. And he's going to go and, uh, to the military. Dad, I'm going to go in the military, and uh, I'm going to fly Blackhawks. Okay, Garrett. Uh, I'm sure that'll be great, you know. Uh, uh, but you know where my mind went. Be like, hey, what, are you, what is your son going to do? Well, he wants to fly Blackhawks in the military. How do you feel about that? Well, how do you think I feel about that? I see myself doing my son's funeral. That's how I feel about that. He's going to go into the Coast Guard, so praise God, from whom all blessings flow. Yes. Yes. But I'm living with that under the cloud of my son's going to be in the military flying Blackhawks for months, thinking about I'm going to do his funeral. See, our mind, fear, makes us go to, in your notes there, makes you go to worst-case scenarios. Fear brings that out in us, where we exaggerate the outcome like the children of Israel are doing here in these two verses here. Imagining, you know, uh, worst-case scenarios and complicating the situation there. And so Moses says, time out, everybody. Let's call time out here. Verse 13, he gives, he says, look, we're not going to go with the, you know, the freak out, worst case scenario. Uh, we're going to go with a new plan. Verse 13, do not be afraid. Then he says, stand firm. And third, you will see the deliverance that the Lord is going to bring you. Here is the new reality that you're to live with. God is calling a nation to a new plan. God is calling us out of the freak out, 
worst case scenario to a new plan. And the new plan in your notes, number one, is fear not. See, the children of Israel, remember, they're walking out in boldness, you know. And, they're, and, then, and then in two days, in 48 hours, they're imagining worst case scenarios. And one man, Moses, says this. I'm taking a different route. God is giving us a different route to go here. So just stand and have faith and watch what, what God is going to do. This is to be your new reality. He didn't know, you know, uh, but he just knew that God was going to intervene here. And Moses is saying, we're going to abandon the full of fear, freaking out, worst case scenario plan. We're going to go with a new plan called the fear not plan. And so how then do you begin to write a new chapter in your life that is not dominated by the fear of pen, pen, but by what God has said? So three keys to breaking the grip of fear. Number one is fear not. And I get it. We have reasons to be fearful. I get that. Okay, but, um, but you have one of two choices in that moment. Okay, you can freak out or you can hit the pause button, hit your knees there, and recognize that God is a God who is with me. God is a God who is for me. God is a God who loves me. God is a God who works, you know, supernaturally. And I can expect God, like Moses expected God, to show up and to intervene here. So watch this. Psalm 103 verse 7 says this. And here I think it opens up opens up our understanding of this passage. Because Psalm 103, verse 7 says this. It says that God revealed his ways to Moses, but his acts to the children of Israel. God revealed his ways, not to the children of Israel, but to Moses. So in crunch time, when the Egyptians are attacking, Moses understands the ways of God. Moses knows that God is a God, his way, he's a God of deliverance. And so he understood who God was. The children of Israel, they're just looking at all the Egyptians, and they don't understand really who God is like Moses did. All they saw were the acts. They saw all the plagues and all that. They saw all the horizontal level, earth, human level stuff. That's where they lived. The acts of God. Moses understood the ways of God. Psalm 103, verse 7 there. And so because he understood the ways of God at that, at that critical juncture there, he said, hey, time out, time out, time out. We're not gonna, we're not gonna do that anymore. What we're gonna do is, we're gonna do is, we're gonna believe a new reality. We're gonna stand still. Okay, we're not gonna have, we're not gonna be dominated by, by fear like this here. And so, you know what I've realized in my own life? I realized that th- over the years that this has become a reality for me. That, and when I can lean into that, lean into what I know to be true about God, lean into uh, the ways of God in those, those pressure points, those fear points, I begin to lean in. It really has a way of, of, uh, of uh, kind of neutralizing the, the fearful ground there. And it begins to take away the, the fearful, wild, irrational, you know, thoughts that, that flood our thinking here. And so Paul said it this way to his young uh, Timothy that he's, that he's coaching up, you know, and being a spiritual father to him. He said, Timothy, now I, I, I see how you're wired up there. He said, look, God didn't give you that spirit of fear, but he's given you a, a spirit of, of love and power and a, and a sound, a disciplined mind. 
God wants, Timothy, in the midst of all your fearful thinking and being dominated by that, God wants to give you a disciplined mind here where the work of the Holy Spirit can produce self-discipline so you're not going into that freak-out mode all the time there. And, uh, and so it helps to identify uh, our fears and ask why. It helps us to have this, this disciplined, more rational journey in processing uh, our, our journey there. And so fear not. Then he says, secondly, uh, stand firm. So what does it mean to stand firm? It means then sometimes you face intense pressure. The intense pressure, you know, where you want to feel like you want to tap out, where you feel like you want to give up. But, but Moses saying, look, don't be dominated by fear. Okay, call, let's call time out here. And let's just stand firm. Let's just stand firm here. Let's trust God. Let's go vertical. Let's engage the Almighty here. Okay, let's look up. Let's depend on Him. Let's stand firm. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. If we would just in all of our ways acknowledge Him, then He'll direct you in a God-honoring path there. And so He's saying, look, stand firm. Acknowledge Him. God is in control. Acknowledge His wisdom. He's got the answers. He can meet your needs. And then lastly, He says this. He says, choose faith. See, in the midst of fear, he says, you know what? We have to believe God that, uh, uh, so let's choose faith here. And so, with God's help, I can fear not. I can stand still here. And so, because God is a God that will never let me go, and I can serve God. Remember, he's the God of the, of the Passover miracle. And he's the God of the, that parts the Red Sea, the God of that miracle. But then he's the God of the manna from heaven miracle. And he's the God of the water from the rock miracle. And he's the God of the Christmas miracle. And he's the God of the Passover miracle. He's the God of the Good Friday miracle. He's the God of the resurrection miracle. Let's, let's lean into faith there. Choose faith. Why would I not believe that God would part the Red Seas, figuratively speaking, for me? Think of this. God has done something even greater than that, I think, in that he parted far more than the significance of the Red Sea uh, for Israel there in Exodus. He also parted when he said it is finished on the cross. The curse over our lives was lifted there, shattered into oblivion, and the veil of the temple there, the, the curtain that kept the people, the normal folk, from the Holy of Holies, it was torn from top to bottom. And God was saying like, hey, because of what Jesus has done, all the normal people now, Okay, now you have access to God there. Before you could never go in there, but, but now guilt is over and shame is, is, is silenced and, uh, and condemnation is, is over here. And then in verse 14, he says this. And the Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. Uh, that was like the second point you just said in the previous verse. Kind of rhymes with the first, the second point there. Like, why are you saying that again? Notice, it's in your Bible there. God said, repeated himself a verse later. Stand still, now be still. Why does God have to repeat himself? Why did he say it twice? Could it be that the important things in life that we need to hear again? That sometimes we have to have things just dripped into our understanding. I'm going to give it to you here. And I'm going to drip it in again just in case you missed it there. But let me say this. 
Does God need Moses? You know, he's going to part the Red Sea, and you, know, you may know the story there. You've seen, it on, if you, you know, you've seen it in a movie. And he holds up his staff. You know, he holds up a stick. So does God need Moses to stand and hold up a stick? I mean, does God need Moses, this old crusty Moses? You know, does he need, is there any power in Moses? Is there any power in the stick? Well, what, like, why? Then why? But, but is there power in simple obedience? There's power in simple obedience. There's no power in the stick. There's no power in the old crusty guy. You know, everybody's like, Moses, like, what are you doing? Like, I'm just doing what God told me to do. I'm going to hold the stick up. You know? And so, uh, so does God need, he doesn't need Moses to do the miracle. But you know what? Your heavenly father likes to do life with you. And he wants to do life through you. I want you to cooperate with him. And so he says, fear not, stand still, and choose faith. There it is.